Hello and welcome to Potshot. I am very frustrated, Alex Towles. I am joined by very annoyed Lorcan Reese, very agitated Alex Collings, and very sad Sebastian Hunt. Lads, I've got a fun potshot question to try and take our minds off of what happened over the weekend. What is the first video game you remember being obsessed with? Alex, this is your question, so I'll let you go first. Okay, um, yeah, this was my question for last week, and then you were like, no, I want to ask it, so so you took it off me. Um, I think my first one was probably Shrek 2 on PlayStation 2 when I was... That was, like, my first ever game, I think. Um, like, I don't, don't think I had, like, what, computer games before then, didn't have a computer. So, yeah, that was my first ever game, and I think probably the game I've spent the most time with, like, over my life, because I was really shit at even knowing how to, like use the analogs and stuff but i got into it no really good game i remember you can play as all of the different characters including shrek where he's like human and not human um you know an ogre so yeah no it was a good vibe i remember liking to play with puss and boots a lot yeah nice sub uh i had a few games on ds that i played but i didn't really like that much the first one i really got obsessed <laughs> with was um the Monster Hunter series on the little um, PlayStation, portable PlayStation device. The problem with that one was that they, uh, in the safe thing they have, uh, where uh, you actually see how much time you spend on the game. And uh, it showed me that I've spent uh, tens, if not hundreds of hours uh, playing that thing to death. <laughs> yeah, I, I had a PSP and I, I remember playing like early FIFAs on it because I didn't have a home console until I got, like, an Xbox 360 as a hand-me-down in, like, 2013. So, like, I'd play FIFA on a PSP, and I remember it looking really good because my comparison was to a DS where it looked shocking. Uh, <laughs> and it didn't look really good. It looked very bad. Um, yeah. I have good memories, though, of getting Watford promoted on, like, FIFA 10. That was fun. Right. Lorcan, what was your answer? Um, my answer was, um, or is FIFA 10. Um, FIFA 9 was the first FIFA I played and that was at like a friend's house pretty consistently. And then FIFA 10 was the first one that I had on Wii. Um, and that was really fun. I remember playing with Van Persie. But anyway, don't want to talk about him. <laughs> <laughs> don't want to talk about Van Persie. Don't want to talk about Arsenal at all, actually, but that is what we're here mm. for. Um, my answer and the reason why I made Alex wait a week so I could give my answer for this, is Pokemon, because my my dad used to go down to car boot sales back when Pokemon game cartridges were actually cheap at car boot sales, and he'd buy, like, a couple Game Boy Advance cartridges for, like, two or three quid. Uh, probably even less than that, because it was about 2007. Um, and my first ever Pokemon game that I remember plotting a lot of energy into was actually a, a ROM hack of Pokemon Fire Red Leaf Green uh, called Pokemon Darkrai version, which might not make any sense to anyone, <laughs> but all you need to know is this was a broken version of the game which had been rewritten almost entirely. I, I don't remember much about it other than it had the Pokemon from the Sinnoh region in the Johto region, no, Kanto region, which it shouldn't have done, and also Professor Oak says fuck. <laughs> I, obviously when I first played it I couldn't read, I was like 7 so I didn't notice at all and then I played it again later down the line when I was like maybe 10 and I remember reading the word fuck and being like hang on a minute something's up there um, <laughs> this game doesn't seem entirely yeah. <laughs> official uh, yeah, I, I fully when I was like maybe 10, 11 like, I fully thought that I had, like, some lost artifact of a Pokemon game that was, like, never been mentioned ever before. And then I realised that Professor Oak says fuck, and I was like, hang on, I think someone might have messed around with this one a little bit. <laughs> okay, so, the week that was as an Arsenal fan. Of course, in the week, Arsenal played their first game in the Champions League since 2017, battering PSV 4-0 at the Emirates. Bosch's side tried to play expansive, free-flowing football, but all that achieved was leaving the kinds of spaces that we have not been afforded in the Premier League so far, and we took full advantage in a thrilling attacking display. And then the game we're actually here to mainly talk about. On the weekend, Spurs came to visit. 
Arsenal came out the gates well, allowing Spurs to have the ball in deeper areas of the pitch and pressing them hard when they tried to progress, which forced six turnovers in the final third in the first 25 minutes. Then in the 26th, Bukayo Saka opened the scoring, cutting onto his stronger left foot and firing a shot into Cristiano Romero, who could only deflect it into his own net. Despite the apparent success of Arsenal's game plan, Spurs began to get more success breaking from Arsenal's press, and ultimately equalised shortly before half-time via Son. In the second half, after Vieira and Rice came off for Havertz and Jorginho at half-time, Arsenal again regained the lead in the 54th minute from another incident involving Romero. This time he gave away the penalty from a handball, which Saka converted. Less than a minute later, though, Jorginho was caught on the ball after a Saliba pass, with Madison sliding Son in for the equaliser. The game then petered out and ended 2-2, because we are shit. What did everyone make of the game? Go on, you don't, don't answer all at once. <laughs> I'll, I'll start. I'll, um, I think it was by far the worst performance of the season. Um, we started relatively strongly. Um, I was quite like in watching back as well. I think our out of possession approach was at least made sense and mainly neutralized them. Um, we had a lot of high turnovers, especially during that period. But then I think Spurs ultimately grew into the game and did deserve a point. Um, there are a lot of momentum swings during the game, which I thought we would be able to control. It was kind of what I was confident in. And I think that kind of reflects having played three games in a week. Um, but I was kind of upset with the general intensity levels and, and focus and communication, to be honest, like kind of the basics. And yeah, I, I thought it was a pretty bad performance. Fair enough. I think the general sentiment uh, agrees with you, Lorcan. Alex, what did you make of it? Yeah, I agree with um, everything that Lorcan said. I think I felt good about the first 35 or so minutes of the game. Um I think even with, I guess this past week is kind of also a good look at teams that do kind of attack us like that. We're a little bit more open than we should be because we've been speaking about that sort of control. And I think even against PSV, obviously, we, you know, um, tore apart when we were attacking them. I think defensively, we weren't quite as structurally solid as we should have been. Um, I guess this is versus teams that want to attack us and kind of find nice inside combinations and outside combinations can hurt us a little bit. It didn't really come off. Um, PSV didn't really have success with it. Spurs didn't really to start. And I think we were dangerous the other way. But yeah, I think from around, yeah, from a couple minutes before their goal, they took the momentum a bit. I'm not really sure who deserved or didn't deserve to win the game, but I mean, it, it was one of those, I think, what is worrying, though, is that our threat came entirely through our press, I think, um, or almost entirely through our press in the first half. And then in the second half, our press fell apart. Um, I'm not sure if we're going to get into that just now, so I'll, I'll hold off till then. But, but yeah, it was disappointing to see. I think there were a number of performances of players who've actually been good this season who didn't step up to the plate. Well, I think, I don't think Declan Rice was that good. Now, we've been speaking about how he's improved week to week to week to week um i think this was a great performance obviously i don't think it was one of the worst ones though eddie was pretty bad after having a strong start to the season um i think both odogo and saka ha had areas where they were really good odogo out of possession saka being our main source of threats um but then they didn't really combine well i think ben white had a bad game so yeah just lots of bad performances all around i think i think it's also one of those where we're looking at it a bit negatively. I do think Gabriel, Saliba and Zinchenko all had pretty good games, to be fair. But yeah, overall, Fabio, another one who's had a strong start to the season, not a good game. So just a shit performance. Um, but yeah, lots of reasons to, lots of things to take from it, which I guess we'll discuss. It must be said that in an alternative universe, we probably run away with it at halftime if we had taken a few of those chances we created in those first 30 minutes. Um, but the general sort of, um, themes of lacking intensity after a three game match week, which we didn't have that much last year, uh, is concerning. The amount of injuries we're picking up is concerning. Um, 
So a lot of the things that are outside of this game specifically that are going to continue, as well as just some of the, the in-game things we do that we've spoken about that um, aren't great. Those are the things that are probably concerning me more than the actual result. Yeah, I think I think the two maybe less tactical themes, but just general themes is um, failure to capitalize early. Again, that's, mm-hmm. that's one of the issues. When the momentum was very much our way, I think Spurs were very much, we you know, had our boot on their neck the first 35 or so minutes, I would say, even even with some issues. But then the other one, just general sloppiness. And these are two things that are recurring themes for us. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I, I think, I actually think I agree with what I believe Arteta's game plan was for the game. I think we approached the game in the right way. I think the aim was to absolutely batter Spurs in the first half an hour, go two, three goals up, and then ease off because we don't have the energy to keep it going for a full 90 minutes and try and control the game from there. The problem with the game plan, in my opinion, was that we didn't capitalise in the first 30 minutes. But then after that, we've got to do something different at 1-0 rather than just take the foot off the pedal completely and let Spurs get back into it because before the game we thought we'd only go at him for 30 minutes. Uh, it was... I, I believe the famous quote from Jurgen Klopp that the a good pie press is the best number 10 in the world or something like that. Uh, and we do have a good high press when we use it, but normally you don't sub off the best number 10 in the world after 30 minutes. Lorcan, before we get into exactly what about our out of possession was so good, can you quickly tell us what Spurs were doing in possession so we know what we were up against? Yeah, I think uh, increasingly as well with, with all the tactical minutiae in the game, I feel like a good build-up is a mark of a good team um, most of the time. And I was actually really impressed with Spurs' build-up. I, I wasn't able to watch back any of the games in the lead-up to, to this week's game. Um, but I I was looking at some clips and stuff that, that people had kindly sent me. Um, but yeah, essentially they build in a, in a sort of like a 2-3 Sometimes a three-two if one of the sort of like halfback players drop, and those halfback players are Saar on the right, and more often than not, and then Udogi the left back on the left, um, and that's kind of the base structure. And then there's a lot of rotation within that. So sometimes Bissouma will, will shuttle out to wide areas, or one of the halfbacks will go even wider f- to open up like central passing lanes from the centre back to Madison dropping, and then sometimes there'll be rotations within that within that structure. So um, a frequent one is Saar and Poro interchanging, um, and that's on the right-hand side. So yeah, that was, I guess, um, what we had to to combat because, I, I mean, I was wondering whether we were going to go man-to-man, strictly man-to-man, um, which with all of those ra- rotations similar to sort of the threat of in the United game could have let a lot of people like just being drawn all over the park. So it was a lot to think about, I think, for Arteta. Okay, so Alex, how do you think we then handled the challenge of Spurs' build-up? I think we did. I agree with everything that Lorcan said. Um, so I was also wondering in terms of how we would go. Um, I wasn't expecting us to be as intense from the start as we were, um, but I think it worked. I think I think we handled them pretty well with the press. I think it also had a lot to do, to be fair, probably with Spurs being sloppy to start the game um, and and you know, unforced errors on their part, but that did kind of give into, yeah, the momentum of, of our press. I'm, I'm wondering, this is one of the things that I've been thinking about is that, did we want to go that um, intense from the beginning? Because I was expecting us to kind of sit off and, and do this more like tempered approach I've been calling to our pressing that we, that we, I think, you know, deployed really well versus, versus United. But I'm wondering how much having guys like, Eddie and and Gabriel Jesus, who a also the North London derby, everyone wants to put in more effort, but then also players like that from the front are more intense. I think Gabriel Jesus is an incredibly intelligent presser, but obviously does like to be very intense with with how he goes about things. And then Eddie is is just a very very eager presser too. And I think I'm wondering how much that kind of led to us being a bit more intense, pushing up a bit more than we might have intended to because when I was watching the game back I was looking for the for our pressing and it's different in terms of I think intentionality than I thought it was when I watched the game live I was thinking okay we're trying to really press them high but I think structurally there are there are 
reasons to think that maybe we were trying to be a bit more tempered in terms of how we handled United and that the players themselves were just drawn into being more aggressive. I think it kind of worked, at least for the first half an hour or so. Um, partly, as I said, because Spurs were struggling with just individual errors. But, but yeah, I don't know if I'm going up too far ahead, but I think the one thing is I think in the second half we should have made changes to our press. It, it fell apart for one, I think. They also managed to manipulate Eddie pretty well and his, you know, inability to kind of, well, compared to the rest of our, our pressing units, uh, individually to kind of use his cover shadow well for vertical passes. I think he's a bit better with horizontal lines. Um, and yeah, he, he just gets baited out a bit too easy. He probably should have had a red card for the, the one challenge he went, goes on. That's obviously a little bit separate from the pressing as a unit, but I think it shows like how eager he is to get ahead. And I think having someone like Havertz is probably who I would have brought on that striker just to kind of manage the game a little bit better, especially when you consider the other person who Havertz got, Havertz came into midfield, right? Um, and the other person Havertz came in with is Jorginho. And I think allowing the game to be more stretched like that doesn't help Jorginho at all. So I think it was, it wasn't the best, um, yeah, like combination of, of substitutions. I think if we'd taken Eddie off, we would have, Four, four habits up front, a little bit more tempered. I think we would have had more control. So I think I'm not sure if our out of a possession approach was bad in terms of the plan, but I think the, the execution through the personnel might have been the problem. And I think habits coming on would have been my uh, up top rather than part of the midfield would have been my, my solution there. Uh, I will caveat this with you have rewatched the game and I have not, but. I'm not sure if I agree that it wasn't the plan to go that high up. Um, maybe maybe like, not. I, I, I feel like if Arteta wasn't planning to push that hard, he would just have not started Eddie and would have started Havertz. Oh, no, I, I think I do agree. Maybe, maybe the way I spoke about it then is almost like that we didn't want to be committal at all. But I think when I watched live, I thought, cool, the plan was to be very aggressive in the press. Um... But I think it was more like a pick your moment sort of thing where I think we were more aggressive than maybe we intended to be all the at different times. Um, just rewatching, there were some similarities, I think, in terms of at certain points, um, particularly when the ball was being moved more towards the right, I actually have to say, um, Spurs is right, that there was a bit more of like a tempered approach but then it would get quite aggressive. So, so yeah, I'm not saying that we weren't planning to be more aggressive than versus United, but I think maybe more aggressive than I think we might have set out in the beginning. Yeah, one thing I I just say I like I wouldn't say it was that aggressive because we've seen again like Conte teams and stuff, but last season we saw us go really aggressive, and even the season before, and that was with the aim of like getting those high turnovers or regaining possession so that we can like have control in the game whereas this to me was kind of especially because it was a which we haven't really mentioned which we probably should it was like a four diamond two press and I think the and, and we saw a lot of switching within that so like Rice would follow Madison but if Madison dropped a certain amount he wouldn't and Vieira might go on him there was a lot of Vieira going onto the pivot when Odegaard would jump onto the left centre back Van der Ven there was a lot of actually switching between Jesus and, and Vieira at one point and then the collective management of Spurs' right-hand side through Gabriel and Zinchenko and stuff, so all of that stuff. But I think the idea was more so that we could maintain central compactness in the press and counteract that they would rotate um, through our switches. And because of that, we had like we didn't exactly press high as we've seen us do man-to-man -man in the past. Um, and I think they had like 60% possession in the first half. They did. So and, and and a lot of their like passing clusters were deep, similar to United actually. Um, so there were like differences in my mind between the United game, and we did see those moments where like particular Gab particularly Gabriel Jesus looked to pounce on one of the pivot players. But yeah, I think it was a, a measured approach. So Lorcan, why do you think then the press fell apart as the game went on? Do you think it was just that we ran out of steam, or is there something more to it? Um, I, I guess my first um, reaction was, yeah, I think we ran out of steam a little bit. I think inten intensity levels fell. Um, I think it was it was a man-to-man -man press that had some like triggers that were interpretive. And um, 
we were quite intense in those first half an hour in that first 30 minutes, which we touched upon. And I think the intensity levels fell a bit. I also feel like a lot of it was Spurs sloppiness. Um, they do rely on sort of, again, those interpretive rotations and stuff. And I think they just began to get them right. I think whenever they zipped it around, um, they did actually get out. Um, Madison growing into the game was also a big factor. I think Rice kind of handled him well in the first 25 minutes. Um, and then he began to drop and actually almost gave away a goal um, when Jesus sort of scored, but then sort of began to, you know, still drop. Um, and I think the first goal actually came from that 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 long ball over the top um, from Madison into Kudasevsky's path. Um, and then apart from that, I think, yeah, I mean, maybe we'll talk about it later, but we've, we've played three games in a week. And I think the moments when we were sort of transitioning back into a block, we, were just, we just looked really haphazard when we were doing it. Um, so sometimes the, there was actually a couple of screenshots I, I took, um, which won't be helpful on this podcast, um, but just rotations between Poro and um, Saar that opened up space between the lines that sort of Vieira couldn't cover. Just like a few examples like that. I think we were generally just a bit lax um, where we might have not been, where we were a bit, whether we were a bit fitter. Um, so I think it was a mixture of things, but Madison, just to give him his credits, I think had played a big part in it. I think generally Spurs changed a bit after about 30 minutes where they either yeah. circumvented the press entirely and went longer or found like short little combinations over the right-hand side where Son then switched it out to Kulazewski who ran into space where Zinchenko sort of was caught between playing more inside and more outside and open up that lane for Kulazewski to run into where actually the goal came from. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I was actually, well, I agree. I think that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I was wanting to think how you guys would have responded in the second half or how you guys think we should have responded. I've already suggested habits up top, I think would have made more sense to me, but, but yeah, there's some stuff I hadn't really thought about. So I guess maybe how would you guys have, if you were Arteta elected to change things in the second half to counteract that? Um, I called on Twitter for uh, Harvards to come in for Vieira, uh, simply to add a bit more uh, nows to midfield. And I thought Vieira just didn't really have a good game, both in and out of possession. Um, but there was a sort of unexpected spanner thrown in the works with Rice going off. And I do think, as much as I like Jorginho, uh, his introduction broke our press as much as anything because we lost a lot of the transitional defending power we have with Rice. And once our initial press is broken, we're just open with Jorginho there. And with when Party was there, that wasn't that uh, noticeable because the athletic power between those two isn't that steep. But once we drop from Rice to Jorginho in those situations, it becomes a lot more noticeable how open we get. And how much he relies actually on springing one time and not being able to track back that much. Yeah, I I, I don't have a direct response uh, towards like, from your question, Alex. But I I yeah, I'm just gonna reiterate what Seb said. I think there was like a complete tension between what we were trying to do by bringing Havertz on in the space of Vieira, notably, and then the sub that we were forced to make, admittedly, with Jorginho on. And I think it stretched the lines completely. And I, I I, just think it was so dumb from Arteta. Like, I just, I'm so, I don't get what the fuck he was doing. Well, dumb, dumb in what sense, though? Because what was the alternative? Then changing changing the structure overall, surely, from the front. Uh, yeah, yeah, just the intention and the game plan. I think okay, we yeah. looked, like, the first 30 seconds, I noticed um, Gabriel stepping really high and we it looked like we were going to go even like sort of heavier man to man and kind of really try and wrestle back control by get by getting those high turnovers but we were ultimately unable to do that because we was just so vertically stretched between the lines and there were there were a number of moments actually where i just looked at Jorginho having to cover so much ground and it's like i mean you can't be a serious team and try and contend for a title and ask him to do that i think Havertz came on in midfield because a midfield of Vieira Jorginho and Erdegaard is just too weak physically. I think that is almost the entire reason that Habits came on at halftime for Vieira. I reckon he just didn't want to have that weaker midfield. 
I agree. My one problem with that, though, is I still think you're still creating the issues, um, I guess, in terms of how we're pressing from the front where you're still stretching that. And then my other problem is why I, I might have kept Vieira on, although I do take your point, Tiles, is I think when you're going to play Jorginho, you need to give him really good passing options. And then he comes to the fore really, really well. And I don't think Havertz was that. Um, so Havertz wasn't really showing a well enough deep at times. And then when he was, he was adding to the pressure. So I think it was just a horrible like concoction of things happening that maybe had to happen and unforced decisions as well that that led to, to it. Because I don't really have a solution. Like I think the point you make is good and maybe... In, in another reality, we're saying we got bullied in midfield for another reason by Basuma and Saar because we should have brought, after losing Rice, we should have brought Havertz into midfield. I don't know. It feels like there's a, there's going to be an issue either way. But I think Jorginho was kind of exposed both, I think, by the stretchingness, if that makes sense, of the press from the front leaving him exposed. But then also when he was in possession, Havertz not having... Not being a great partner for him, in my opinion. Um, I, I know they're great friends and all that stuff, and they've played together before. But, but yeah, as midfield partners, no. Um, so that's why Havertz is my solution. But up up front would have been my solution. But I, I take your point. So, yeah, it's one way I don't really have a great solution. Um, yeah, I, I think yeah. this is absolutely a kind of short blanket thing where if you cover the physicality, you lose out in possession. Yeah, that's a you great cover thing. the possession, you're going to lose out with the physicality. Um, and I think probably that answers the question of why we haven't seen Jorginho very much this season. Because when I look at our midfield options, unless you've got someone like Partey in there as well, you're always going to have that problem if you're taking Rice out and putting Jorginho in. Like, you're going to have one of those two problems unless you've got someone like Rice or Partey in the eighth spot, which we weren't going to have this game because of injuries. Lorcan. We often see substitutions come on, um, say Jorginho on for Rice in this case, which is obviously, we were forced to do that one. But it seems like Arteta doesn't necessarily um, taper the game plan according to who's necessarily on the pitch. And I think that's one of the main weaknesses in in his like ma short managing career with us, that he sometimes expects the substitutions to do some of the, same sometimes pivotal jobs of those that had come on. So like last season, exam an example was Vieira coming on for Shaka, um, not as a substitution, but just as a direct replacement um, and expecting to do those exact same things. Um, I, I can't think of another substitute uh, example at the time, but yeah, that's, I just want to say that. Yeah. Tierney on for Zinchenko. Yeah. 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 Especially even in games when we could use, I remember, I can't remember that actual game, but I remember seeing Tierney going on and being like, perfect, we need that width on the left. And then he came on and he was trying to do exactly what Zinchenko is doing. So, uh, but I'm interested, why do we think this is an issue with Arteta? Because he obviously, I mean, I would say he's far smarter than us. Um, so he can see the problems, but yet he, he refuses to actually, and obviously he's seen them fail many, many times. I think it's one of our issues with our substitutions in the past. But I think... What we're seeing again, I think earlier in the season we still had everyone, is that we had so many options that we could kind of find like the best sort of substitute to bring on. But now we obviously didn't. But why do we still see him not making these tweaks that, I mean, we see Pep do all the time? It would be interesting to read. I think these are sorts of things that will come out as his career progresses and, you know, people observe training and stuff. Like, I, I know there's even stuff for, for coaches like Peter Bosch in terms of like his problems with why he struggles with defensive transition. So I'm sure it'll come out as as journalists kind of find that. Um, but it's it's just an interesting problem to me because it feels like something that, especially someone who's been under the tutelage of Pep, who's actually great at this. Um, yeah, it's something that it, it's interesting why he continues to struggle with it. Yeah, I think on that front, it's like a lot of our, our identity in general is predicated on being a team that, is galvanized by momentum swings, is quite emotional, is is extremely intense. Um, and I think there's a tension there with then settling into a different, you know, shape, um, a different game plan. And then the key injury, and then injuries to sort of players that enable us to be the most 
sort of diverse in timber and parte particularly doesn't help like we've got an injury list of like six now and we're six games into the season um, and that's not mentioning Sinchenko who's obviously back but who's been injured as well and, um, and Jesus whose recovery is clearly being managed by the fact that he hasn't completed a full 90 yet I don't think exactly um, so the injury list is, is really shit and I don't want to say unlucky um, but yeah it's not great so we've been talking about the problems with how Arteta made substitutions, but let's have a look at the starting eleven and see if we think there are any problems with the team that we put out to start this game. I think the big two decisions that Arteta made uh, were one, starting Gabi Jesus at left wing in order to accommodate Eddie and Katia up front, instead of perhaps putting, well, one Eddie on the wing or Reese Nelson, for example, on the wing and then Jesus up front uh, and then starting Fabio Vieira over Kai Havertz. Did you guys agree with these decisions at the time? And now with the power of hindsight, do you think they were the right ones? Lorcan. Um, I, the, the only switch I would have made was Havertz centre forward instead of Nketiah. I think that made more sense. On that front, other than that, no. I was really surprised um, Jesus started the left wing. Um, but again, it's something we've been calling for for a little bit. I was slightly worried by the fact that like Nelson still hasn't started there, um, despite having called for Jesus to start there with Havertz at the nine. Um, just because I was thinking, like, when is he going to if our two left wingers are uh, injured right now and he's not doing it? But um, no, I, I didn't really have any major problems with the, with the lineup. Can I just say, how good was Reese off the bench? I thought he was quite impressive. Definitely one of our better performances. I hope... I mean, he's definitely going to start the next game, which I guess we'll speak about in a while, the midweek game. But but yeah, I agree with Lorcan. I was also not calling for, for Ed before Reese to start. Um, although I had an ITK lie to me <laughs> in the group and saying that he was going to start on the left. And I was quite excited when I heard that. But no, I, I also wanted Gabriel Jesus to start on the left. I, I think... Gabriel's Jesus was probably good. If I watch it back again, I, I kind of speed watched the rewatch um, to in order to do it for be ready for this pod. But but yeah, I feel like we didn't make use of him enough. Um, but yeah, I think it, it it would be hindsight bias for me to say I agreed actually with with Lorcan saying habits up front. I forgot I wanted that before. But yeah, it'd be hindsight for me to say that I didn't want Eddie or wasn't happy with Eddie starting. I think he just had a bad game. I didn't actually know what I wanted in the left wing situation because basically both of our left wingers were out and we had to do something novel there. Um, when the team sheet came out, I actually liked the idea of Nketi up front and Jesus on the left. Uh, the only thing that I would have changed once I saw the lineup was uh, having Kai Havertz in the eight instead of Vieira. One, just because of his out-of-possession nows uh, to help us with the press, especially considering Spurs' deep midfield is quite hefty. Um, and also just to aid in the rotations to get Gabriel Jesus more inside. I think he's a bit better at occupying the wide left role than Vieira is, although they don't give each other that much. Um, but that was the only thing that I sort of thought could have been improved there. On that note, I think it's a good time to head to a break. Uh, we will be back in a... Well, for us, it'll be a few minutes. For you, it will be the length of one jazzy jingle. And we're back. What a lovely break that was. I've had a cup of tea, and now my voice doesn't sound like shit. I'm sure that is genuinely a noticeable difference, because I can feel a noticeable difference in my throat. Anyway... We've not got much more to say about the Spurs game, but we do want to quickly touch on the performance of our right-hand side. Erdegaard came in for quite a bit of flack on Twitter uh, because people thought he was shit. Alex Collings disagrees. Why? No, 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 no. I don't disagree with him being <laughs> shit. I think he was shit. I just think it wasn't just him and it wasn't... People have, have used him as like the, the reason the right-hand side didn't work. And I don't think that that's true. I think it's true that he wasn't good. I don't think I don't think him. I don't think Rice. I don't think White. And I think more controversially, I don't think Saka was that good either. I think 
if you want to kind of like divide it up, Saka was obviously, I think, had a good performance overall. But I think in terms of linking with Urigo, um, even linking with White was a lot more sloppy than he usually is. Um, okay, to take a step back and like what I mean specifically, it's not so much like I think he, I literally said on Twitter this morning, I think he had Udugi's, um like number in the first half. I think he was generating good shots and stuff. But I think when we think of why the performance didn't work, um, a lot of it had to do with Odego and Saka not really finding each other or when they were finding each other, playing passes that were like suboptimal, not not um, not well serviced to each other, basically. And I think there were a couple of hospital passes from Saka into Odego that just made Odego's performance worse. I'm not trying to like... Because I know Lorcan will probably come in here fighting. Now, I'm not trying to say, okay, that's the reason Odegaard had a bad game. I think they both did in that aspect. Which is part of sustaining, creating, especially in those more dynamic moments, creating good chances. And I think, yeah, we were very um, inefficient then. I think Ben White, someone we didn't really speak about, I think he had quite a poor game. Um, that then was then kind of punctuated. as always with, with Ben White with really good moments that kind of, I think, make some people forget the general sloppiness of his game. So, see, I wasn't, it wasn't like a one-man thing, but I think Urugu and the role he plays, and we've spoken about the, dy- like, the reliance on dynamism, I think that definitely holds true. Um, but I think he's also someone where the players around him don't play well. He'll look a lot worse, whereas with Saka, you put him in, like, one, in isolated situations where he can then look good and obviously he did look good in those situations so yeah that that's my take Lorcan go ahead can I can I ask what Seb thinks go on <laughs> yeah you can ask what Seb thinks <laughs> Seb what do you think are we getting a pot shot vote on this <laughs> I think I tend to agree with Alex here I think the I think it's a collective thing more than anything and I don't think singling out Udegaard here is sort of fair um i do think saka had a lot to do with him disconnecting from from those uh situations but yeah i think it's a general thing more than anything um and something that has to work i don't i don't think we have an, a viable alternative to that uh to that triangle there um but yeah yeah i think like both of the points that you bring up are fair um I thought I thought Saka was really good yesterday. I, I guess I think Saka's our most important player. I think he's our most creative player and also one of our biggest goal threats. Um and is is obviously most dangerous when he's in those central areas, sort of in zone fourteen even, even though he starts wide right. And I think um just I mean, shout out to my dad who has sent me some graphics about Arsenal's how shit impotent attack this season <laughs> um, but we're currently 8th in expected goals and 12th in big chances created 14th in big okay. chances created I think 14th okay, yeah. I mean either of those is pretty damning but we might have gone down even further Yeah, let's just average it out and say 13th shall we? yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I think that's where United are on the table around. but anyways um, so, they meant Chelsea fighting yeah. odds. Um so I, I don't know I think it's pretty I think it's pretty weird how we use Saka in a way that doesn't make him dangerous. And I think it's become increasingly clear this season, especially as teams have been more ready to to give away and relinquish territory out of possession. And maybe that wasn't necessarily the case with Spurs. I mean, it it somewhat was actually, because we were able to bypass their their first line pretty easily. that with even less space to operate, the Odegaard and Saka dynamic is definitely such that I de- oh, that Saka doesn't get into those inside areas as often as he did last season. And I think a lot of that relationship last season depended on, again, with White, um, a level of like socio-effective superiority or a relationship between all of them where sort of they knew what they were going to do. There was a lot of like, technical empathy in their passes but ultimately relied on really narrow windows of sort of like triangles and stuff. And I think it's so much clearer when you put a more dynamic player on that side, whether it's Vieira, Smith-Rowe, and say Havertz, who actually hasn't featured on that side yet, 
that Saka looks so much more dangerous. Like even in the sporting tie, Smith Rowe came on and I think Saka had something like five dribbles. This is going back to last season, but that's the last one I can actually remember Smith Rowe playing next to Saka. Um, and I think at this point it's detrimental to the team. Um, and I agree that squad building hasn't been such that, because maybe you want like a controller or somewhat of a safer pass on the other side if you're not going to have Odegaard in the middle. But I think ultimately this this team is Odegaard's and has been designed around Odegaard. And I think that's to the detriment, the ultimate detriment of Bukayo Saka. I think that's a problem. So just to be clear, are you suggesting that we drop the club captain who's just signed a new contact? Uh, no, I just think longer. I, I don't think it's a viable option to do now at all. And I, I think it would send the wrong message as well. But I think longer term, the vision should be for him to transition to the left-hand side of the pitch um, rather than the right. Okay, so if we can just first break it down. If we're speaking, I think what you've spoken to is a lot of structural issues that I don't disagree with. Um, if we speak in terms of, well, you use the, the term technical empathy. I think since discovering it from Wenger, I had never heard it before. It, it's a nice shortcut for for a lot of what, yeah, what is good for footballers to do. I think Saka actually lacks that in terms of his passing. Or at least it's erratic. Sometimes he doesn't play great passes. In, and I know part of what you point out is because Odegaard is so reliant on receiving in certain ways, but I don't think it's just into Odegaard. Um And then, yeah, just to speak to the performance itself, I think, yeah, Saka was good overall. Obviously, it's hard to... It's hard to kind of say that a player, I think, what, he created three chances and had, like, three shots, obviously scored... What was the reason for Romero's own goal and then yeah, scored the penalty? Um, so I'm not suggesting he had a bad performance and obviously had, in my opinion, Odogi on strings, at least in the first half. But I think it becomes a bit simplistic when you just put it there because I think it's also a reason for the struggles that Odogo and even guys like White suffered. There was one there was one pass where he played White nice on the overlap. White was moving nicely on the overlap. Sucker plays it too hard. I think we've seen that it comes up now and again, and I'm not I'm not trying to nitpick here, but I think these are issues that do come out, right? So when you can say he had a good performance, but also he was a reason for the struggles in the game. Obviously, that's the system we're approaching. I know what you're saying is that the system is the problem in the first place, right? Um, I kind of buy that. I'd, I'd at least just from a, a point of like intellectual curiosity at this point, I really want to see an Odegaard left eight performance um, or, or actually a run of games there. Um, but I also think when we speak about, because I know you, you kind of see Odegaard as like a, a floor raiser and not a particularly high, like, I guess, scope, like not a title winning scope, maybe we should say with him as the right eight. I think it all, that ignores a lot of what is important in terms of actually understanding. Basically, we do, um, to some extent, rely on these sort of dynamic moments, but he's also one of the best in the world in those dynamic moments, especially when it's, once he's kind of settled on it, he's one of the best in terms of out of possession, I think. This is also why I'm a little bit like hesitant to say Odegaard had a really bad performance because I think he was actually quite good out of possession. I don't think he was. I, I think was... he was. Yeah, Why don't enough. you think he was? Uh, th- no, there were just, uh, to be fair, there were a couple moments in the first half, particularly when they broke out of our press, when they had the uh, sort of a wide first line where the pass from Romero onto Van der Ven wasn't covered by Odegaard because he sort of pressed the keeper and then kept on running towards the right centre-back. So there were a couple of moments where I thought he was individually responsible for the breakdown of the press. Um, but perhaps, again, perhaps it's worth re-watching. Ni- it's, it's nitpicky. I think also for what it's worth, as I took a screenshot of it, but Odegaard was um, sort of had his hands up in the air in the sequence that ultimately led to the goal because Vieira hadn't pushed up onto the pivot, which was Basuma. So anyway, it was a bit like, you know, disjointed. It was a new structure of press. Um yeah, no, sorry, getting on a tangent. No, now. no, I, I can take that. I think I think maybe it's worth at some point all of us should do a rewatch of this game. But but yeah, I think it's also it's a hard sort of <laughs> or maybe not. I think we have to at some point when the when the pain stings a little bit less. That's kind of why I speed watch through certain elements as well. But but yeah, I think I think Odego is one of the ones that's more obvious when things aren't working because he's so central to what we do well and what we don't do well. It's that same sort of thing where people were saying like, oh, Odego doesn't perform in the big games or when, you know, when the team's not performing, then Odego's not performing. He only performs when the team performs well. But I think part of it is that 
the team performs well because he performs well. Now, I know that's a floor raising issue in itself, but I think there are just so many things that you lose when you lose Odegaard that we kind of ignore as as well. So, so yeah, that's kind of where I stand. In terms of individual performance yesterday, I just think he's taking a lot of the flack because it's most obvious with him when other people are being sloppy as well because he's central to a lot of it. So in in that discussion, you brought up something which we've mentioned a couple times already in the pod uh, that I think is one of the key themes of our season so far, and that is a lack of creativity outside of what we're able to generate through our press. Um, like We've talked a lot about how this season teams are sitting back a lot more and not affording us the space that we might have been able to generate last year. Seb, why does that make it so much harder for us to generate chances when teams just give us the ball and sit back? Um, there's multiple issues here at, at hand. Uh, the first is that we change personnel quite a lot over the summer and we're still getting to grips with finding new relationships, uh, especially on the left-hand side with the eights, where we don't have a definitive profile like we had last season and switch around with different um situations in in over there the the we already talked about the Wyatt Saka uh and Odegaard triangle that isn't working as it has been last season and those were sort of the against the static block the dynamic situations that were able to crack open a static opponent um the other one we already talked about as well which is uh progressing centrally uh which we haven't been able to do as well largely through the fact that our pivot hasn't been able to receive back to goal as much as it was beforehand, um, which then leads us to create more static situations and leads us to get into the final third, largely through the wings in situations where the opponent has already settled in their block with relationships that aren't working as well, which leads to a lot of dead-end situations where we aren't able to fully get in there. Another thing that goes on there as well is just the fact that we don't have a definitive difference-making creative player that is able to find passes that other people wouldn't find. And I need to stop talking now because I need to change my mic. <laughs> uh, so apologies for when Seb starts to sound worse in the next time we come to him. Uh, that's fine. Um, yeah, I think one of the really interesting things about this problem is how we saw that it just didn't exist, really, against PSV. Because PSV came for us, and that opened up spaces within their block that we were able to attack really, really effectively. Um, and we just haven't been afforded that opportunity at all in the Premier League. Clearly, something needs to be done to change this if we are going to have success this season. And... Teams aren't just going to magically start giving us space. We're going to have to do something to force it. Lorcan, what do you think we can do to try and address these issues? I think I think something needs to change on the interior front. I just I don't think we have the profiles on either side. Um, they give us enough creativity in the half spaces. I think ironically, actually, we did have those. We had so we had thirty. 30 entries into the advanced half spaces yesterday. I'm getting these stats from Mark Stats on Twitter, who's really good, um, especially at sort of creating short digests for people who aren't big into statistics in general. Um, but we had a lot of those opportunities, um, whether they fell to Havertz in the second half, Odegaard or Saka in, in the first half. So yeah, I I think long-term, um, it, it's, it's something teams have, have clogged onto and they're giving us less state, less space in around that zone. I Yeah, I'm just going to say, I, I think Jesus back helps a lot. Um, I think it's no coincidence that our last two games we look like we've had more chances in that respect. I mean, granted, like opposition tax as well. Um, so we will see. I'm just not, I'm still not keen on the way we set up as, as who our eights are. Alex, do you have a different opinion on how we can fix these creative issues? Um, no, largely the same. I, I do agree, um, despite my whole thing on Odegaard. I just think there's different ways that we need to find ways of creating. And I, I still, yeah, the left eight is still an issue for me. The, the one thing, though, I think that we should kind of, I mean, maybe 
contextualizes that. Like, I think it's something we did say was going to take time to build into this season. Um, or at least, at least that was sort of my take going into this season. And I think, yeah, what, how many games have we played? Four wins, two, two draws sort of feels right for what I was kind of expecting from our start to the season. So I'm not too worried. Maybe I'm just eternally patient. That is definitely a problem. Um, you know, growing up in the Wenger outs versus Wenger in sort of era and having to pick a side. But but yeah, I, I'm not too worried yet. I just think there are clear issues that will take time to improve. I think I think obviously Declan Rice, hopefully he's not injured for a long time because we really need him. But I think that does contribute to our, our problems with central incision, as we were talking about last week. And I think he's improving game on game on game. And I think there will be, you know, that curve will become less steep. But I think as he improves, moving the ball through the middle, as we start to work on dynamics a little bit, uh, things will click more than they are now. Whether that's enough, that's a, a yeah, that's something for us to kind of look at in a, in a month or two or, or three or four. I do also think there are a few fixable issues we already have that we can fix just by things clicking a bit more. One is Gabriel Jesus coming back into the nine, who just creates a bit more dynamism centrally um, and has a notable difference with uh, Edin Ketia. Um, the other is central incision, where one Zinchenko coming back has already helped. I think uh, David Raya has helped a bit and will help more, especially in, in the Spurs game. He did really well at finding Zinchenko before he started to just decide to yeet long every time he got the ball. Um, find Zinchenko, who then found one of the interiors, and then we moved from there. Uh, those things will definitely help. <clears throat> and we also can find ways of scoring within the team. I think one thing that we haven't explored as much as we should have, especially in this first game, because it's a, a big weakness of theirs, is uh, the Saka cross to the back post with someone like Havertz there who is able to navigate those situations very well. Uh, Saka has a good cross in him, and especially against Spurs, where uh, Pedro Porro is um, not very good at defending the back post, shall we say. That big Jesus chance, the first one, that um, was an amazing save yeah. by Vicario, by the way. Is yeah. that... Yeah. That's basically the, the situation we, we... Yeah, that's basically the situation where we found... Mm. Uh, well, was it uh, Saka who played that cross? Them. A lot of teams will defend it better. It was Saka who played that cross, yeah. Uh, a lot of teams will defend those situations better because Pedro Porro uh, ignores the back post every time. Um, he, <laughs> he did that the entire season, and it's hilarious. Um but especially with Harvards there, who has the height, has the maneuverability to find those uh, those headers, we could definitely generate uh, chances through there as well. Yeah, just to actually answer your your initial question, Tiles, a bit better than I did. I think there's also scope for us to use more deep build-up principles, um, which perhaps is at odds with the way we are building up now because... Again, and we've talked about sort of um, the pivots vacating the middle to join the back line. And I think there were situations, whether I think it's a, it's a mix between interpretive and instructional and stuff, but there were situations where Rice did that in the first sort of 40 minutes, 45 minutes or so, which I didn't think were necessarily conducive to us maintaining control or exacting control in the game. Um, so anyways, there's a level of pinning that needs to be done in the middle for deep build up perhaps to occur. And maybe one that we couldn't really do with Partey out at the minute. But I think there is scope for us to use sort of like a Deserbian 4-2-3-1, 4-2-4, basically in order to get those, those, that space that we aren't afforded. Um, That's at least an idea that I think we should explore. It was something that I think we talked about even in the, the preseason pod, like um, Alex and I, when we, when we were um, talking about the Lavia links, whether we might actually use a double pivot. Um, So yeah, I don't think we will do that um because i i don't think like odegaard would necessarily fit into a 4231 um of that kind but yeah i don't know um at least i i think it's something that will just need to come up at, at at some point that some answer needs to be found to it because you know we're not being afforded that much space between the lines on that note of hopefully we'll get better but we're not sure um i think we are just about done with talking about the Spurs game, with a congested schedule coming up, obviously we've got Champions League group stage games now, as well as the Premier League, which never stops. Um, I think it is worth touching a little bit more on the injury issues that we have been having. 
we do not have either of our two first choices at left wing. Um, if Rice is out for any longer than about five seconds, we are not going to have our two first choices at defensive midfield. Um, obviously, Timber's out forever. We're in a little bit of an injury crisis. How do you think Arteta will approach dealing with these problems over the next few games? Do you think he'll rotate more or do you think he's going to try and find a new 11 to build some consistency with? Honestly, I have no clue. Um, I'm, I'm interested. I'm interested to see who plays versus Brentford. I, I imagine that we'll at least have one of our starting two centre-backs. Probably feels like it should be Gabriel. But then in terms of balance, like Gabriel and Kivior gets a bit weirder. But I, I think it, it might be that. Um, I, I'm, I'm really interested to see what we do. I think we will see guys like Cedric and Olneni come in. I really want to see if Arteta will put any faith in some of the, the younger guys who are pushing through. I'm not not super confident that'll happen. I think I think one or two of them will come off the bench if we're doing well against Brentford. I think, you know, Kozia Dubri, Rural Walters, Lino Sosa, Nwenieri are probably the best sort of candidates for that. Um, but I think in terms of how we're going to continue, I think we're just going to play the guys that we have, the first teams that we have um, available. I'm not, I'm not too... Well, I'm, I'm upset. No one wants injuries, but I think it's a good chance for guys like Reese Nelson, who I think deserve a chance from the start. And I think, yeah, I think it's worth looking into. Let's see how he does versus Brentford. Smith Rowe should start versus Brentford. So from that perspective, it's exciting. Players like Kivio, I like. So we're definitely in a much better position um, this season than we were in previous seasons. But I, I'm not sure how Teta will will seek to balance it. I think I think especially yeah, he's probably just gonna find guys to plug in and then continue to play them. And now with less options on the bench, that's less scope for small tinkering game on game. Yeah. Just just in case you don't have uh Arsenal's fixtures seared into the back of your mind, uh we play Brentford in the Carabao Cup on Wednesday and then Bournemouth in the Premier League at the weekend. Um Seb Alex has mentioned how he like would like to see quite a bit of rotation against Brentford, and I agree. So I'm not going to ask you if you want to see rotation, because I imagine you probably do. What I will ask is, how annoyed would you be if we went out of the Carabao Cup against Brentford on Wednesday? Ah, uh, that's a hard question to answer. Um, I would be a bit annoyed because I wanted us to attack this season by taking every competition seriously. And I don't necessarily think um, rotating the entire 11 would be uh, taking it seriously, although I don't think we will do that. I think we will see four to five of the players who play in the North London Derby, perhaps, play. I would be very concerned if Saka would play, to be honest. Um, Saka is something we haven't touched on yet, but it's quite concerning to have him look in a lot of pain almost every game he ends um, with the reports of him carrying an Achilles injury from last season um, and still being without a an analogue to play once he's not there and relying so heavily on him. That's a bad situation to be in. Um, but as long as we take it seriously, as long as we sort of play our game, so to speak, uh, I, I wouldn't be annoyed if, if the game didn't go our way. Yeah, I read an article in the week about Saka's sheer consistency and the fact I think he's played in the most consecutive Premier League games of any outfielder right now. Yeah, he has the record uh, or now. Any outfielder ever. Um, I apologies, I can't remember who wrote 86. that article. Oh, sorry. Sorry, no, uh, 86 straight. 86 games. Yeah, yeah fair <laughs> enough. Uh, yeah, I can't remember yeah. who wrote that article. If I do, I'll put it in the description to the podcast. If I don't, I won't, sorry. Um, so, yeah, he's probably coming to the end of that. Hopefully not forced by injury, but it is something. Um, Lorcan, how much rotation do you think we'll see against Brentford? How much would you be comfortable with? Would you be annoyed if Arteta sent out the under-21s and then we lost 3-0? 
No, at this point I wouldn't. I think it's like just on that sack of front. It's absurd that he holds the record, like especially because of of how well Jesus can play right wing and like just strictly this this season. I don't think there's much scope for that um, so far because of Jesus's injury. But I I just think it's the way we've managed certain minutes is not ideal in my opinion. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm quite worried on the injury front, especially because a lot of the players that enable us to do some of the fle- flexible things we like to do are out injured. So I I wouldn't. I have this yeah like it's like this pretentious big club thing where I don't care about the league cup. I care about the FA Cup. I do not care about the league cup. That being said, I don't believe in like you know throwing away games. Um, so obviously there should be some calculated approach which I've not thought about at all. Um, and we shouldn't just have wholesale change over the eleven, but I think it is an, a, a good opportunity to to rest some players because over the past seven days, play or eight days now, um, some players have played a lot. So I don't think Zinchenko should feature, or Saka should feature, or Rice. Um, that's just off the top of my head. It'd be a cool um, opportunity to start Havertz at the nine. I think. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I haven't like I don't have answers for every single particular just because I really have not thought about it. But I think it's a good opportunity for some players not to feature. Yeah, that's fair. Um, a real quick fire question before we end off the pod. Uh, I will go to each of you. Um, which area of the pitch where we have injuries do you think is the most concerning for our next little run? And briefly, why? Um, Alex, first. It depends. Is is Rice injured? We don't know exactly how, how bad it is, but Arteta said that he felt something in his back, which doesn't sound very promising. I mean, if, if, if Rice is injured, then it's there. Um, if, if not, maybe... <sighs> I mean, I, I really would have loved Martinelli for this past fixture, for the past two, to be honest. PSV would have been fun. Um, though, Trossard hold it down. Um, but maybe maybe defence, because I've been really trying to think, like, who we play versus Brentford, and the whole time I was thinking, it really, really, really sucks that Timber is dead, because he would have been really great to have alive. And, yeah, so maybe I'll, maybe I'll say defence, but I think <laughs> I think it's, it's quite nicely spread. Yeah. Um, but if Rice is injured, then definitely Yeah, Rice. we've got a real even spread of fucked across the whole board. <laughs> oh, um, Lorcan, who, like, what area of the pitch are you most concerned about? Yeah, uh, exactly the same as Alex. I think there's no direct substitute for Rice, um, even party included in this game model, but he's out anyways. Um, and if not, defence. Oh, I forgot about party. Yeah. And, and I guess, yeah. Yeah. So, Seb, do you agree? Yeah, I, I mean, I say it like this. If if Rice is unavailable for the City game in two weeks, uh, we're, we're pretty fucked. Yeah. None of you have answered why, so I'm going to answer why. Um, the reason why I think the Rice and Partey injuries are really bad is what we mentioned earlier, where if Jorginho is playing in that midfield, you need to compensate somewhere else physically. And normally, the way we would do that if we were forced to play Jorginho would be by playing someone more defensive, like Rice at the left eight, I imagine. Unfortunately, Rice is injured, so it will be playing someone like Havertz, and then we'll lose out a lot in terms of um, in-possession stuff. Or, which I don't think Arteta will ever do, because I think he's a lot more worried about the physicality, we play someone like Fabi V, and then we have the physicality issues, where we have two of our three midfielders can just get absolutely bullied physically, which isn't great. So, that's a problem. Uh, I'm least worried about attack, because I actually have a lot of faith faith in Reese Nelson, it has to be said, you know. Mm. On that note of slight optimism... I think it's time to end the podcast. Thank you, Seb, Lorcan and Alex for joining me. Uh, And thank you to you for sticking through that extended group therapy session where we talk about 
not enjoying watching Arsenal particularly at the moment. Make sure you come back next week where Seb and Alex are joined by a special guest. John McKenzie from TIFO on The Athletic is coming on to have a look at Arsenal's start to the season as well as previewing the Manchester City game which is depressingly soon. Until then, make sure you are subscribed to the pod, follow us on Twitter at PotShotPod if you want to hear more, uh, and leave us a review as well. It's always nice to hear people say things about the pod, good or bad, and they've been mostly good recently. Thank you. We've been sounding like a broken record on this, but thank you so much for the support on our start to the season. It means a lot. Thank you to James Blake for making our music. You can find him on Spotify at JWBlake. And finally, thanks to you for listening once again. Cheers.